Today on this Palm Sunday, as we are reminded of Christ's mission, we come to the end of our series in the book of Acts, remembering our mission to receive him and to reflect him in and through our lives. And through our study in the book of Acts, we've been asking the question, what would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? And what should our church look like since Jesus is king? And in many ways, our text this morning gives us a summary of what the kingdom coming in our lives looks like and gives us a charge to live it out. This is Paul's farewell speech to the leaders of a new church. We read Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I know only that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Church, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts to receive these truths as a charge, as a, a commission for us to live as a kingdom people with kingdom purpose. I pray for any of us who have forgotten this or we feel inadequate for it, that you would remind us of what that purpose is and the power you give us to fulfill it. May we take it to heart today. And for anyone joining us here or online that does not yet know you, I pray that today they would come to see what you have done for them in Jesus and put their faith in him and be saved. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. 
we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, it was nominated for 10 Oscars. The movie 1917 appears to be filmed in only two continuous shots, capturing the urgency of World War I in just 90 minutes. It's a fantastic film. And this urgency is displayed in two British soldiers who must cross over into enemy territory and race against time in order to deliver news that could potentially save thousands of lives. They had a message to guard. But it wasn't like guarding a secret. They did not guard this news by keeping it from people. They guarded the news by bringing it to people. And friends, in the Apostle Paul's farewell speech to the leaders in the church in Ephesus, we see here Paul eager to guard the message of the gospel, and he does this not by keeping it to himself, but by bringing it to others. And like the soldiers in World War I, he does so with great urgency, for he knows it is a message which saves lives. Brothers and sisters, Reality Ventura, we have been given a message which saves lives and a mission to bring it to the world. And how we do that as a church is of the utmost importance. And our text today reminds us of this. For context, the Apostle Paul spent several years in the city Ephesus investing in people and raising up leaders. And in many ways, his final words are a commissioning speech. They're a charge. He's not only reminding them of what he has done during their time, he's not only reminding them of important things in this kingdom life, he's commissioning them to carry it out. And it serves as a beautiful summary of what all Christians have been called to in this kingdom mission. Every one of you, every one of us, Jesus Christ has given us work to do and he's also given us the power to do it with. And so this passage is really a, a reminder but also a charge to us. So this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I would like to give us seven, not three, seven. People are like, whoa, what is happening here? Yep, we're going big. Seven brief just to calm your anxiety. Seven brief but very important charges to you that I think both summarize what we've learned in this series but would also send us out with urgency, especially in this Easter week. And I would love for each one of us, regardless of how new to Christian faith you are, new to this church you are, or if you have questions and you're exploring Christianity, whether you're here or online, I'd love for you to hear them personally, as a charge to each one of you. So, just as Paul commissions the Ephesian elders, Christ has commissioned you. In what ways? What are we commissioned to be? First, you can write these down, pray through them. The first charge is this, Reality Ventura, we are commissioned to be relational. We're commissioned to be relational. What does the kingdom of God coming look like? 
It looks like us plunging ourselves into the challenging yet glorious task of knowing and loving each other. Loving one another in community. And that's what we have in this scene in Acts chapter 20. When Paul gives his address to the leaders of this church, he does so with a history. He was known by the community. Look at verses 18 and 19, again, of Acts chapter 20. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Paul was able to refer to his time there, knowing that the community had witnessed him. You know how I lived. As they worked together, I want you to notice and remember that Paul placed his life in the view of other people. And notice how vulnerable he was. He says there, you saw my tears in verse 20. He said, you saw me, you saw the the burdens, you saw me weep at times while I worked together with you. Friends, let's be honest this morning. We can be very good at controlling what other people can see. We're very good at curating, especially online, but also in normal life, what we choose other people can see. The danger, of course, is that it makes it easy for hypocrisy to grow amongst us. It makes it very easy for us to live a a double life, and maybe some of you are there this morning. But I want you to note that committing to the community life of the church, putting yourself in view, joining up to a serving team, joining a community group, joining in, diving into the life of this church provides great protection against hypocrisy, but it also fosters authenticity. I don't want it to be easy for me to live a life of hypocrisy. So I need to invite people into my life, even if it's hard at times to like encourage me and call me out if needs be, which I've already experienced already (laughs) on a couple of occasions. But in doing so, friends, we get to display the love of God to each other. Isn't that what Jesus Christ said? The whole world will know, he says in John 13, that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. He doesn't say the whole world will know you are my disciples by how great your worship team is, how great all of our ministries are, how well we lead our children's ministry, which is all thankfully fantastic. But he says within that, the world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have towards one another. I know that relationships are messy and complicated. Some of you may be joining us today and you've been wounded by the church. And I don't say this lightly, but let me offer a very simple way of putting it. It's something that God continues to do in my heart. Jesus loves these people. And so I am to love these people. Sometimes we just need to be reminded, friends, it's as simple as that. It's not easy, but it's very clear. Now, where does this come from? How can we grow in this? It's the truth. Truth 
is the soil from which this authenticity grows. Church, first of all, we are commissioned to be relational, but my second charge to you is this. Church, we are commissioned to be biblical. We're to be a relational people. We are also to be a biblical people. That's the second charge I want you to hear this morning. We've learned in this series that the church in the book of Acts, it wasn't like a random community center. They weren't like, hey, let's get together and play Settlers of Catan and Parcheesi and like have a barbecue, the kingdom of God. Of course, you can play Settlers of Catan if you want, but what we've learned in our series is that it wasn't a random community center. We're a learning community devoted to the study of God's word. And Paul's job and the church's job was to guard the truth by rightly proclaiming the truth. Look at verse 20. Paul says this speech in this community that he's known so well. Look at what he says in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And if you skip down to verse 27, he says, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. That means Paul didn't cherry pick what he taught when they gathered together. He taught them the truth about creation, the truth about sin, the truth about the gospel, the truth about redemption and restoration, the truth about God's holiness, the truth about man's sinfulness, and the truth about what God has graciously done about it all. And I want us to see that Paul, he uses this language of guarding but Paul didn't guard the truth like he guarded treasure. Paul guarded the truth like he guarded news. See, oftentimes when we hear the word guard, we think of like, you know, a precious metal like gold. And what do you do with gold when you're guarding it? You, you hide it away. You lock it away. But when you have news, you don't guard news by locking it away. You guard news by making sure it's accurately transmitted to other people like the soldiers carrying in World War I a very urgent message. That's how we guard the truth, not by keeping it from people, but by rightly declaring it to people, and we are called to receive it. So friends, to be biblically faithful means to know and to follow what Scripture says, and not to cherry pick the parts that we like and the parts that we don't like. Do you want to know who God is? You can't just believe anything. We must look at the truth of His Word. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know how to live in this life? You need the truth. Our model is to, or our aim is to model this on Sundays. Actually open the Bible, study the Bible, look at it, unpack it, apply it. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a community where someone could come here for months and then be shocked when we open a Bible. Or be shocked by what it actually says. We don't just get to cherry pick like the, the verses that we really like that we put on coffee cups. I want to see someone do a, like a different version of coffee cups. Like, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just take that to work. On your Zoom call, just <laughs> hold that cup in your little frame. That's not the community we want to be where we're just cherry picking. No, everyone needs the truth. Everyone can receive the truth. That is the second charge to you, friends, the charge to me for us to be relational, but also to be biblical. But where does this lead? We all know that there's some people who know the Bible really well, but they appear to be unchanged by it. It's not just knowledge alone. How does this change happen? Well, the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. 
and how he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so church, that leads to the third charge. We must be relational. We must be biblical. But third, we must be Christ-centered. That's the third charge. We must be Christ-centered. Jesus Christ, who we celebrate this week, is the word of God become flesh. Come to our world to fulfill all the promises of God we see in the Bible. He came to live on our behalf, die on our behalf, rise again on our behalf. Jesus is everything that the Bible's talking about. He's the true prophet. Jesus is the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread, the true and only way to God. To preach the word is ultimately to preach Christ. So what was Paul's call to action as he taught? It says in verse 21, I have declared, he says, to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. To be a kingdom community, we must always make it clear that it is only through Christ that we can follow the word. We never want to give the impression that it's based on our ability, like, well, I know the Bible and I'm very religious and I get to do, I obey everything in the Bible. We can only do that through Christ. It is only in the power that he gives that we're able to live the way that we're called to live. Listen, the kingdom of God is not going to advance through good advice. It's going to advance through good news. Amen? The, to be a kingdom community isn't like, hey, I've got four pieces of good advice for you. I'm like, oh, Ventura County is going to change. It's not. The kingdom community does not advance through good advice. It advances through good news. Can I get an amen? It's the good news, a declaration, not about what we have to do to be accepted by God, but what God has done for us so that we can be accepted by him. After all, we are not the heroes of the story. We don't read the Bible and say, like, I'm the hero. You read the Bible and you say, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero of the story. And as we proclaim him, we get to watch lives change. May Jesus Christ be both the grounds and goal of our church, the motive that we appeal to for change. And doing this will bring change in our lives individually, our marriages, our families, our community, and this county. And the power to do that is provided by God himself. Paul knew this. And we need to know this. And that leads to the fourth charge. We must be relational. We must be biblical. We must be Christ-centered. But fourth, we must be spirit-filled. We must be spirit-filled people. Paul understood the whole of his life as needing to depend on the Holy Spirit. And he demonstrates that here. Notice in verse 22 and 23. He says, now, being compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. We're also told later on in this passage that the Holy Spirit is the one who appointed the overseers. I love the book of Acts because you see the work of the Holy Spirit all the way through its pages. You may remember when Dom taught us in the first opening of this series that for kingdom purpose, we need kingdom power. The book of Acts begins with our absolute need for the Holy Spirit. 
You may remember Billy teaching us later on in the book of Acts chapter 6 how the Holy Spirit equips and gifts a very diverse body so that we can serve and live out this purpose together. So Reality Ventura, we must endeavor to walk in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I suppose an important way for us to remember that is by looking at the alternative. The alternative of walking in the Spirit is to walk in the flesh, which is the ability that we have. And that's frightening. There's no way we're going to do kingdom work and the ability that we have. That means it's all on us. Indeed, some of us may live like that. But no, friends, it's not on us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and now dwells in every single one of you who believes. This means that we can know close fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells with you and empowers you. And here's what I love. You may read this and you might think, oh, well, Paul the Apostle, he was an eloquent speaker. He was a great leader. I'm not like Paul, so I could never experience that kind of power. But friends, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is not for special believers. It's for every believer. This, this anointing of the Spirit is not for certain privileged Christians, like holier-than-thou Christians, like next-level Christians. It's for every Christian. And that's good news because I remember being a new Christian walking into a room thinking like, oh, wow, there must be two categories of Christians. There's like next level Christians and then there's me, which is like mediocre Christian. And apparently they have power, but I have none. But then I started reading my Bible and I realized that nothing could be farther from the truth. In the kingdom of God, there are no second class citizens. So friends, if you're struggling with comparison today and you're thinking, oh, I could never be powerful because I see these men or I see these women who've been in Reality Ventura for so long, you need to know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and promised to work through you. Amen? That is good news. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit is not for special believers. It is for every believer. And we are called to receive him and not grieve him. And here's what happens when you say yes to him. You begin to feel what God feels. You begin to desire what God desires. And you're able to do what God calls you to do. Church, we must be spirit-filled people. And what we have, we give away. It's not ultimately about us. And that leads to my fifth charge. See, we're blazing through this. My fifth charge to you, church, is to be generous. We are to be a relational, biblical, Christ-centered, spirit-filled people. But as we become aware of that, we've also learned in Acts, fifth, that we are commissioned to be generous. If you know that your true reward is found in relationship to Jesus Christ, then you find the power to be radically generous. You find the power to, to take risks that you would otherwise be afraid to take. And notice for Paul generosity flows from an awareness that all he is and all he has belongs to the Lord. I love this in verse 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Isn't that incredible? He says, man, when I think about my life, it's like worth nothing to me. My only aim, he says, is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. 
And notice how this shapes his view of generosity. Skip down to verse 35. In everything I did, speaking of his time there, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Church, we were made to give generously. And in the gospel, we are moved to give generously. Not out of guilt, but out of grace. Not because we have to, but because we get to. This means that we're not investing in kingdom work primarily because of how it benefits us, which is a question we often have when we're like getting involved in the church. You're like, I don't know, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What 27 and a half ministries do you have for me? But rather we say, how can I invest in others? How can I take what I have through my time, my talent, and my treasure? How can I invest that in kingdom work? Not just because of how it benefits me, though we will be blessed as we do, but how it can benefit others. And in this, I'm reminded of one of the most radical statements that Jesus made on generosity in Luke chapter 14. He says this, when you give a feast, when you throw a party, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't pay you back. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says, when you, when you throw a party, throw it for people who can never repay you. So that people go, why are you so generous? And you say, I'm not looking for my reward in this life. My reward's in heaven. My reward is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is precisely because of what will happen in the future that you can take generous and radical risks in the present with joy. Even when that's challenging. Even when it costs you. And we must be careful to cling to these truths because hard times will come and opposition will arise. Which leads to the sixth charge. Reality Ventura. We are called to be watchful. We are called to be a watchful people. A kingdom community is in danger when it ceases to be watchful. And we've learned in this series that we can and will face spiritual opposition against us, even demonic opposition. And we must be alert. We've also learned that we can can and will find and face temptations among us. And that's why we must be vigilant. Paul says to his leaders in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, I want you to be on guard. Paul knew these dangers well. And we do well to take these warnings to heart. He warns about wolves that would come in. There are people who would be motivated by false and wicked motives to deceive some of us with, with false teaching, whether it happens in the community, online, or whatever. We must be watchful. We must be watchful over ourselves and watchful for each other. On the one hand, we need to be watchful over ourselves. Man, I've learned over the years that it is possible to grow dull spiritually without even knowing it. You're like, hey, I'm just killing it, the Christian life. <laughs> and yet you begin to find that your heart has just kind of grown numb. I've had seasons like this. I'm like, whoa, 
And I need other people who love me, care for me. They see those evidences in my lives and they're able to kind of wake me up. We need to keep watch over ourselves, but also over each other. We're brothers and sisters. The exhortation in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 puts it like this. Let us, it's all plural, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day that Jesus Christ is going to return as you see that day approaching. Man, what a reminder for us in 2021. Hebrews 10, 24. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to encourage one another, mindful that we have an enemy who would love to destroy kingdom work. In fact, we're given warnings about the work of the devil. And it's not just a warning to individuals, but a community. The apostle Peter puts it like this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Now, how can we be watchful? Peter tells us in the very sentence that comes before, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. And indeed, church, leaning into his power is the key to fulfilling all of these charges. And that's why lastly, the charge to you is this. Seventh, we are commissioned by Jesus to be prayerful. We are commissioned to be prayerful. Paul concludes in verse 32 by committing them to God. And down in verse 36, we see this beautiful scene where they all kneel down and they pray together. And we're reminded that God's purposes will not be accomplished by man's power. We need his. And we access this through prayer. The more prayer, the more release of the power of the gospel. And through prayer, God gets all the glory and gets all the credit. What does the kingdom of God coming look like? Men and women crying out to God in prayer, asking for him to do the impossible. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something that can only be explained by the power of God. <laughs> like, oh, how did that happen? How were lives changed? Oh, we had a really good program. <laughs> we had some great curriculum. <laughs> it's like, no, it's a miracle. Lives are changed through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit opening up people's hearts to the gospel. And so I charge us to never underestimate the power of prayer. Church, this is God we're talking about. He is both rich and generous, and he is far more willing to give away than we ask for. So what will we ask for even this week as we have a night of prayer every night this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30, you're invited to join. Go to our happenings page. What are we gonna ask for? What will we be emboldened to ask for for such a time as this? But as we come to a close, we might ask, well, how can we be assured that he'll hear our prayer? How can we know that he's gonna help us? You might be hearing these charges thinking, gosh, I agree with that, that sounds good, but how on earth is that, gonna be, is that gonna happen in my life? Maybe you feel inadequate like me. 
Or maybe, like me, you feel overwhelmed. You're like, gosh, I know these are the things that I'm supposed to be involved in. I know I need to be in more community. I know I need to be praying more. I know I need to be living on mission, but I just feel overwhelmed by it. Or maybe you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you're not yet a Christian and you're like, how can I even start? How does this whole thing even begin? Well, friends, the good news is that the answer is the same for us all. And it is summarized in one little word that Paul uses over and over in this passage and in his final prayer. And that word is grace. How can you be saved by grace? How can you be renewed in your commitment today by grace? How can you be strengthened by grace? How can you be encouraged by grace? How can you find the power to commit by grace? Grace, undeserved merit. God does not provide what we need on the basis of what we deserve. It's on the basis of what he has bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. And do you see, friends, that Paul has actually reflected Jesus and his grace in this whole passage? Though in tears, Paul was heading to Jerusalem, awaiting the opposition that faced him. His life was but a small reflection of Christ's ultimate mission. Today, we remember that Jesus went in tears to Jerusalem, not just to risk, but to lose his life, not merely to be bound, but to be burdened with our sin as he went to a cross to die for our sin. And when he did, he was not surrounded by friends. He was surrounded by darkness. Why? He was cast out so that you could be brought in so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new, so that you could be accepted. What does the kingdom of God coming in our lives look like? It looks like a people who are relational, biblical, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, generous, watchful, and prayerful. And how does this happen? In verse 32, he says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I want you to note this morning, friends, that he doesn't say, I commit you to your own effort. Wouldn't that be a bummer if at the end of Paul's speech, you're like, now I commit you to your own ability to do this. I now commit you to your programs. I now commit you to your own talents, abilities, and skills, and wisdom, and ingenuity. It's not what he says. Friends, hear this. He says, I commit you to God and I commit you to grace. It is grace that will propel you on mission. It is grace that gives you the urgency. It is by grace that you can receive this power. So Jesus asked you, will you love Ventura County like I love them? Well, you'll find the power to do so when you see how I love you. Let's receive that this morning, church. Let's pray into that this morning as we commit ourselves to the grace of God. Why don't you bow your heads now as we prepare to pray and as we do so. Just had a sense that there's week, this week that there are some of us who just feel as if perhaps we've drifted or we've lost the urgency or maybe... Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you know the things that must be done, but you just feel overwhelmed. You don't know where to start. It may be that you feel that you need kind of a recommissioning today. 
a renewal of that sense that you have kingdom purpose. And I would invite you, if that's you, and you just know God's been speaking to you, man, like I need to be recommissioned. If that's you, I invite you just to be bold and put up your hand right now. Just put up your hand right now. I see you, brothers and sisters. God sees you. As a simple act of faith, if that's you and you're like, I need to be recommissioned today. I need to be made aware of this sentness. Just put up your hand right now. God bless you. God sees you. If you're not yet a Christian and you'd like to know that right now you can be forgiven, right now you can have the promise of everlasting life, right now you can be accepted and made new forever, and you want to make that decision, I invite you to put up your hand nice and tall. Put up your hand nice and tall. God bless you. God sees you. I'd like to lead us all in a prayer. And for that, I'd like every one of us to stand. If you're able, stand to our feet. And as I pray for us and as we begin to worship, may this be a moment of recommissioning. Whether you're just giving your life to Christ or you're asking for that recommissioning. Let's pray this together. Father, thank you that you have not left us to our own ability. Thank you that our acceptance and our purpose is not based on what we must do. It's based on what you have done. So Father, we pray for those who need that sense of recommissioning, renewal in this season. Would you fill them afresh and anew with your spirit? Send them out on that mission. Remind them of who they are in Christ. Remind them of the power of the Holy Spirit today. Remind them that they have a place, they have a part in this body, even if other people have overlooked them. You see them, and you commission them. And Father, for those who want to receive you for the first time, may they from their heart right now say, Jesus, save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day to give me life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and turn from my sin. May they pray that even now, Lord, and experience your salvation. And Father, for us all, as we sing and lift our voices to you, pray that your spirit would do a renewing work in our hearts sending us out on your mission. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.